0: a tumultuous week for me. I don't know what your week was like. I know all of us feel the pressure of the holiday, and getting everything ready, and that was certainly on tap. We had our annual church meeting with the leadership on Monday, and that was a busy day. A number of things happened this week that made this a a jam-packed, wire-to-wire week. On Thursday, something happened I didn't expect. We got a call Thursday that my grandmother, who's 96, had fallen and broken her hip, and she was going to surgery. And so Thursday night, I Virgil filled in, did a great job with a Thursday night service, and I spent it at the hospital with my grandmother. I've been with a lot of people when they go to these things, and and I've told you before about my grandmother. She's kind of a tough old bird. I think she may even outlive me. I don't know. She's pretty tough that way, and um, uh, just just has a, a tenaciousness about her. So she goes through her hip surgery and. And we were told, you know, probably she's going to really be foggy because she's old, right? She's got a lot of things. Ha- Sorry, Grandma, I know you're watching. I, I love you, but you're old. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, and so she thought it's going to take a couple days, but you know what? She gets us out of surgery, and like 30 minutes after surgery, they're like, yeah, she's upstairs in her room. We go upstairs. She's eating chicken and potatoes and just sitting there like nothing is wrong. I'm like, man, this woman is tough. There's something about tough people that we admire, isn't there? There's something about, about strength that is it's, it's, it's a, it's empowering, it's, it's motivating. We like it when we see somebody who's overcoming the odds, who's able to do something we can't even imagine uh, that we might be able to do ourselves. Well, I reference all of that, not just to give a shout out to grandma, although that was certainly part of the plan, but also to talk about something that Isaiah said. He describes Jesus with some terms, the Messiah, with some terms of toughness. And and one of the phrases that he uses is found in Isaiah 9-6. I want to take you back to that passage. We started there last week. As Virgil already shared, we're in a series that is about a name above all other names. And last week, we really looked at that idea of the wonderful counselor. And today, I want us to think for a few minutes about this phrase that is used in Isaiah, mighty God. Remember the verse, Isaiah 9:6. 6 For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Mighty God. That phrase shows up in the Old Testament over 330 times. It's a remarkable phrase, and there are two words that are commonly translated Almighty God. The first is this phrase that's in this text. It's a, it's a Hebrew word, uh, al It's is what the language would say. The other one that's frequently used is el-shaddai. Maybe you've heard those as names for God. They're names that speak of God's power, God's strength, uh, God's ability to do impossible things. That's the kind of language that was used in Genesis chapter 17, When God is speaking to Abraham, talking to Abraham about the promises that he will accomplish through Abraham and his descendants. He says in chapter 17, verse 1, I am God Almighty, walk before me faithfully, be blameless. When David fights against the giant Goliath, it's this name for God. God as the as the Almighty that He, he invokes right before He faces Goliath, right? Goliath comes at him, and David's famous words that he speaks to me, he says, You come against me with sword and spear, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the powerful warrior, the great, glorious warrior. Of course, David was victorious victorious. When wrestling with the question. Of all the trouble that had befallen him, Job, who lost his family and was covered with sickness, Job refers to the Lord as the Almighty God. He says in Job 13.3, I desire to speak to the Almighty. It's interesting that Job uses that phrase because, sadly, there are a number of theologians in our world today that don't like the translation of El Shaddai and El al-gabir, as almighty. They don't like the idea of God as almighty because it messes with their theology a little bit. They can't understand why God, if he's almighty and all-powerful, he can do anything, why he lets some bad things happen in the world. Maybe you struggle with that idea too. I don't know. I don't struggle with that idea. I recognize and I can can perfectly see God being all-powerful but not interacting in every case. Let me say a couple things about that. First of all, we have no idea how many times God actually does interact. We only see the times that it appears that he hasn't. And there are countless times that God is at work, and we don't even know it, that he's protecting us. But second, even in the worst of tragedies, almost all of them come back to one of two things. Either the decisions and the will of mankind made a horrible thing happen, like 9-11 or, or the horrors of genocide in World War II against the Jews. Those were decisions of mankind. Now there are people who would say, well, God should have stopped that. And yet we don't like it if God tries to interfere with our lives and what we want to do. People don't want some outside force interfering, except when we don't like how things turn out. I digress. Some people struggle with this idea of God being all-powerful. And there's a a misconception that if God's all-powerful, nothing bad should ever happen. The truth is, the world where nothing bad happened, that's actually the world God wanted to have. Did you know that? That was the world he wanted to have. When he created Eden, he wanted a place where bad things never happened. But God didn't invite sin into the world. Mankind did. And since then, we've lived with the horrible consequences of sin. Now, the good news is God has made a way to overcome the sin. He is all-powerful. In fact, that phrase for God, a mighty warrior, is so important because of all the things that would follow it. Not only is he mighty in the sense that he is the ocean former and the star setter, The mountain mover, the life giver, the sea parter, the giant slayer, the wall smasher, the chain breaker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper, the grave robber, the blind healer, the dead raiser, the way maker. He is the almighty, strong, courageous, powerful warrior. And that's another term we don't like to think about, a warring God. That's that's off-putting to some people, the thought of God as a warrior. We like Jesus as the gentle Savior who calls the children to sit on his lap. We don't so much like the warrior who comes with a sword from his mouth like a double-edged sword. But in the Old Testament, the prophecy of the Messiah was, he is going to be mighty, a warrior. And we need that. Friends, we, whether we want to admit it or not, we live because of sin in a world that is embattled by war. War rages both in the physical world and in the spiritual world. And Jesus is our solution to both problems. He's the one who can win the fight. He's the one who overcomes. The Apostle Paul <laughs> spoke about how important <clears throat> this was in Ephesians chapter 1. He describes our, our Savior, as one who gives us the power to stand against all things. Listen to what he says in verse 16 of chapter 1 of Ephesians. Paul writes, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance to his holy people, and this, and his incomparably great power for those who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked not only in the present age but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Paul says Jesus is all-powerful. There is none like him. There is none like him. So let's consider for a few moments how this actually played out. And let's take a look at the story of Jesus Mary and the uh, moment at which Mary comes to understand what's about to happen to her and what God's plans are for Mary and for the world through Jesus the Savior. We pick up this and, and we're reading this from Luke chapter 1. We read these words. The angel said to Mary, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus and he will be great. He will be called son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign forever and ever. The kingdom, his kingdom, will never end. And Mary gives this honest question to this angel as she's contemplating what God's telling her. Well, how will this be, Mary asks the angel. I'm a virgin. How am I going to have a child? This doesn't make any sense. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Why, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. She who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. Mary's beautiful response, I'm the Lord's servant, she answered. May your word be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Well, at that time, Mary got ready she hurried immediately to the town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth, her relative. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, Elizabeth exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Now you may be wondering, Marty, what's this got to do with the term El Gabur, the Almighty? What's well, listen to what happens next. After learning that she's going to have this baby, after visiting Elizabeth, Mary bursts into a song all about... The mighty God. All about God's power and what God can accomplish. And she is singing, in essence, and, and I don't know if you've thought of this, you know that God picked a songwriter to have you Jesus' mom? You musicians can rejoice in that. She liked to write songs and sing music. And she wrote a song spontaneously on the spot. This is what she says about the Almighty God. Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of a servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For here comes the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. Is this starting to sound like a mighty warrior who brings down rulers who are proud and raises up the humble? He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful, Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. This was her song. Now, we're used to songs that have rhyming choruses and verses, but this was the song that she sang. Mighty is the Lord. He can do impossible things for old Elizabeth, and for the Virgin Mary. He's able to do things that we can't do. Indeed, this marks Jesus' life in many ways. Well, across his life, we could look at all of the different times Jesus demonstrated his might and power. He went face-to-face with the devil after his baptism and prevailed. He was mighty to win and to save. We talked last week about how when he landed on the seashore against the madman of Gadara, how he battled evil and he overcame. He won once again. We could go through the Gospels and we could see how he went head to head with the Sadducees and was the one who prevailed. Head to head with the Pharisees and prevailed. Head to head with the teachers of the law and prevailed. Head to head with the leaders of the people and he prevailed. Victory after victory after victory, but like those theologians who have their doubt, there's this tough moment. We know about it. Where Jesus goes on trial. And in that moment, we wonder, what keeps the mighty one from calling down angels to save himself? What is it that's happening? Well, this term about the mighty warrior actually shows up at the end of Jesus' life. Mary heralds it at the beginning of his life. Jesus demonstrates it but doesn't claim the title during his life. And then here, on trial before his death, the phrase resurfaces again. The same phrase that's used by Isaiah and by Mary will be used by Jesus himself. Listen to it. Matthew chapter 26 Everything else has happened. The Last Supper, the betrayal of Judas, uh, he's predicted to Peter that he'll be denied. All those events have taken place. Jesus has been arrested, and now he stands before the Sanhedrin in Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 57. Matthew 26, 57, we read these words. Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders Had assembled. Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest, and he entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. The chief priest and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward. And they declared, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and he said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah. The Son of God. You have said so," Jesus replied. And here it comes. But I say to all of you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One, and coming on the clouds of heaven. You want to know about the Messiah? I am the one who sits in the throne with the mighty of God, the El Geber, the El Shaddai, the one who has all the power, who can do all things, and filled with hatred and rage, determined to show they were greater than Jesus was, they jump on him. Listen to what it says. The high priest tore his clothes. He spoke in blasphemy, Why do you need any more witnesses? Look now, you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He's worthy of death, they shouted. And then they spit in his face. They struck him with their fist. Others slapped him. And they shouted at him, prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you? They were so angry. They wanted the world to know they were more powerful than Jesus. And they beat him up. The theologian who asked the question, where's God when bad things happen? Well, Jesus is God who was there in that moment and let horrible things happen to him. And he had the strength not to destroy those that were doing it on the spot. Not to lash out in anger and fight back and punch back and kick back and yell back and curse back and call down an army to destroy them, all of which he could have done and would have been justified to do so. But he's the mightiest of warriors. And he had the strength to endure what he should not have had to have endured, even the cross. And he did it. Because he's the only one who could. The only one who was mighty enough to save the entire world. What were the punches of a few priests and Pharisees compared to saving all of humanity? The Mighty One. Almighty God's who He is. He owned it. He showed it. And on the third day when He rose from the dead, He proved it. There was none like him. The Christmas story is marvelous, but it's incomplete without the end of the story. Christmas is just the beginning. Easter is the gospel. God sent his son. You heard it this morning. So that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So I have to ask you this morning, in your fight with sin, who's going to help you win? Who helps you overcome addiction? Who helps you overcome your struggles? Who's mighty enough to save you from the challenges that you've put yourself in or you've found yourself in? Only one. Christ alone, our hope of glory and our help in times trouble. It might be here that you're here today in this season and that you've never yet accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. If that's your circumstance, we want you to make that most important decision. We want you to make that decision to say, God, there are things I can't overcome on my own, and I'm asking for your help. There are battles I can't win by myself. Help me win the battle, mighty God. Help me win the battle with sin and with death. If you've never made Christ your Lord and your Savior, I encourage you to make that decision as we stand and we sing our hymn of invitation.